Welcome to Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. We're so glad that you are listening with us today, and we hope that this message is a blessing. When uh, I was 13 years old, a freshman in high school, I had my whole life planned out. Or so I thought I had my whole life planned out. I uh, was taught from a very early age all the way through my life that money was to be my priority. Make a lot of money, or at least a decent amount of money. Have a nice house, have a few cars, have a nice family, a wife, a few kids, have a good 401k account, retire at an early age. Make sure you have those three months in savings, right? Three months salary, gotta be in savings, so if something happens, you have something to fall back on. And these are the things that were constantly preached to me. And usually the Christian thing was tacked on at the end, right? It was kind of like money first, Christianity second. The only thing that really would differentiate my life between maybe me and a non-believer is that I was busy on Sundays. And uh, these people, they meant well. They loved me. They cared about me. They wanted to see me taken care of, right? They wanted to see that my future was secure, that my job security was there, and that I could provide for myself and my family. And so they meant well, but the reality was is it led me at a very early age to put money as an idol in my heart. And so I remember as a freshman in high school, I was taking an accounting class. My, I went to the biggest high school in Kansas, so they had all kinds of cool and weird classes like that. Actually, one of my electives was airbrush. Imagine taking that. It's like, there's your, there's your fine arts credit. I'm gonna take airbrush. And that's when it was like really cool to have like the airbrush t-shirts. You guys remember that? Like Dollywood still does that, which I think is funny. But you know, you had like the basketball with the flame on the back of it. But anyway, I was in this accounting class and I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I, don't, I wouldn't say I was passionate about it. It was something that I was like, yes, I can't wait to do this for my life. But I realized like, hey, if I go into this profession, this might be something that can help me achieve some of the things that were being preached to me from a very early age, right? And so I took accounting one, my freshman year, accounting two, my sophomore year, accounting three, my junior year. And it wasn't until my junior year where I was at lunch with my youth pastor at the time who just spent more time than he really needed to or was required in his life uh, on me. His, I think I was this little like work and project, you know, he saw potentially, he's like, I'm gonna just keep pouring into this kid. And so in the summers, we would go to lunch once a week. And he sat across the table from me. We had just gotten back from a camp uh, with a bunch of middle schoolers and I loved it. It was a blast. It was something that I uh, was passionate about. And he looked across the table at me and he said, you know, Bryce, have you ever thought about going into ministry? Have you ever thought about maybe specifically going into youth ministry? And my first reaction to him, I laughed. (laughs) Laughed right in his face. You know, I'm like, you are absolutely crazy. Going into ministry is the antithesis. It is the complete opposite of everything my entire life people have been telling me to do. Again, money is primary. Christianity is second. No, my job is to make a lot of money and make sure that I can provide for me and my family. Christianity is just a back burner right? And in fact, the better I am over here at making money and providing for my family, the better Christian I am, right? And so I just laughed at him. I was like, dude, you're crazy. I'm not going to do that. Regardless of how much, you know, you think I might be good or how much the Lord was prodding my heart to maybe step in to this moment. So I looked at him and I came with the first excuse that came to my head. And of course, it centered around money. I said, dude, there is no way that I can afford to go to a, a private Christian college. Like you're telling me that you want me to go to a private Christian college for $30,000, $40,000 a year. You want me to graduate with a significant amount of debt and then take an entry-level ministry position making not a lot of money with this massive debt on my shoulders. How am I supposed to provide my family like that? He looked back at me and he said, 
Have you ever heard of Moody Bible Institute? To which I laughed again. <laughs> Probably a lot of people do because they're like, what in the world is that? I've never heard of that before in my life. Maybe some of the older people in this room have heard of it because Elizabethan used to have an aviation uh, part, wing of Moody here in town. But for the most part, young people are like, what in the world is that? And what is that about? I have no idea. And so I laughed. He looked back, he said, you know, their tuition is free. You know, the donors will pay for you to go to this college with the goal of you graduate from this college, you can go into ministry without having that massive amount of debt around your shoulders. I said, okay, that's interesting. So I do a little research on it, realize that only two in five people get into this school. Now, I was an okay student, but I was nowhere near like a, oh, you get in the school that only two in five people get in kind of student, if you know what I mean. So I applied anyway, just to kind of get him off my back because he just kept asking. I was like, I'm, gonna get, I'm just gonna apply and get rejected by the school so I can move on with my life, right? So I apply, forget about it. I honestly totally forgot I had even applied. Like again, I was going to Wichita State University, go Shockers. Our mascot's literally a, a shock of wheat, a, literally a bundle of wheat. Like go Shocks, forget that I'm not gonna do it. I was coaching a middle school basketball team at the time. And I remember I, I was rushing home to get some food. I stopped by the mailbox and I saw the envelope. And I was just like, threw it in the side seat of my truck and just kept going. I ended up, probably because I was speeding, getting to practice a little earlier than I thought. I sat there in the parking lot. I'm gonna go ahead and open this and get this over with. I opened it up and it had four words that changed my life completely, right? You have been accepted. Is that four words? You have been accepted. That's four words. And I just remember sitting in that truck and I mean like just bawling, crying like sobbing, like ugly crying. You know, there's crying and there's like ugly crying where you're so upset, you're like, oh my gosh. You know, and in that moment, it was very weird experience because I, although I was feeling like this just weight, I also had more peace and more sureness, is that a word it is now, uh, than I've ever experienced in my life. Just like knowing 110%, like this was the next step that the Lord was taking me down. And there was nothing or anything that anyone could do that was going to change my mind. Like this was it. I was so sure and I was so at peace. I started telling people about this and you would be surprised by some of the reactions I got. You know, you think someone maybe going into ministry, you might get a reaction as a young man, like, oh wow, that's so great. That's so, so uh, valiant of you. That's so, no. The people in my life were like, are you kidding me? Like you, you're gonna go, like how are you gonna provide for your family? How are, you going to re, how are you going to retire at the age you want to retire? How are you going to be able to provide a house? How are you going to put food on the table? One person in particular, they meant well, they loved me, but they looked at me and they said, Bryce, you're literally taking the vow of poverty in your life. And I just remember being shocked, which leads me to my question today that I want us to ask and wrestle with. And for some of us, including myself, this is something that I still struggle with. Might hit home, might be a little close to home, Maybe you even get mad with me by the end of this message. I don't know. But I just wonder how many of us in this room, including myself as individuals, and maybe even the American church as a whole, have made money an idol being so common, being so normalized, that we don't even realize it's an idol in our heart anymore. That we don't even realize it's an idol in the American church anymore. 
We've so normalized money being the priority and money being the goal. Again, have the 401k account, have the three months in saving, make a lot of money. This is the goal, this is the purpose. Oh, and I'm a Christian too. We've normalized that reality so much so that we don't even realize it's an idol in our heart. It's an idol in the church. It's staring us right in the face and we don't realize because everyone else around us is doing the same thing. And I wanna challenge that thought today. I wanna challenge as we sit at the dinner table and we pray, Lord, thank you for providing this food. I wanna challenge the idea, do we actually believe that? Do we honestly believe that as I pray that prayer, Lord, thank you for providing this food on the table, that the Lord provided that food on the table for us? Or was it my own hard work? Lord, thank you for providing this roof over my head. Or thank you for providing me for this family, right? Are we Israel in the desert? Absolutely living on the manna of the Lord. Lord, provide these things for my life. I trust you. Or are we Israel and Egypt looking to Egypt to provide those things for us? I mean, which one of those people are, us? are, are we? Are we Paul in Philippians 4.13? You know the famous verse where all the athletes like to put on their eye black? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You go back and you read that verse, read the chapter, read the context. Paul says, I've learned to live with much and I've learned to live with little. I've learned to be content in every and all circumstances. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do we honestly believe that? Or do we actually, if everything was taken away from us, our money, our house, our cars, not even knowing where the food was gonna come from for our next meal, would we continue to faithfully believe that the Lord is in control of my life? Or would my face shatter? What is it in our lives? Have we become so accustomed to money being an idol in our hearts, an idol in our lives, that we don't even realize that it is? Scripture has a lot to say about money. Scripture talks about money, some people say, more than any other topic. 30% of Jesus' parables are about money. It's something significant in the kingdom of God and how Jesus talks about it. But I think we've taken a lot of verses out of context and we've construed it so that we can take these verses and say, no, no, look, like I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to focus on this. This is something that's important. When in reality, when Jesus is talking about money in scripture, when he's talking about dealing of finances, he just looks and says, can you take it with you? And if I can't take it with me into eternity, how much value does it really have? How much does it really matter? So if you would, open up with me to Matthew chapter six as we wrestle with this this morning. Just some context of Matthew chapter six as you open up into the word of God today. It's obviously in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Jesus is preaching um, to, to many Jews on the, on the countryside and he's preaching what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God, right? Kingdom living. And I love the Sermon on the Mount because at its core, it's telling us we can't do it, Right? Like you think about some of the most popular verses in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is looking and he's like, okay, how many of you could live your entire life and not commit adultery, right? And hopefully most of us can raise our hands and say, yeah, okay, I think I can do that. How many of you can live your whole life and not be a murderer? It's like, okay, I think I can do that. I think I can have that kind of self-control. And every time Jesus takes it a step further, right? He's like, okay, well, if you look at someone lustfully, then you have committed adultery with her in your heart. Okay, well, if you've been angry at someone, right? He takes it a step further. It's like you've committed murder in your heart. And what is he doing? He's showing us what he's been showing Israel for the last many, many years, that we can't do it, that apart from Christ, I can't do it, that I need Jesus, that Jesus should be my priority because he is it, he's my only way into the kingdom of God, into peace and joy and satisfaction. And so here it's interesting that he talks about money, right? 
It's in the Sermon on the Mount showing us we can't do it. And he moves on. He says the Lord's Prayer. He talks about fasting. He's going to move into talking about money. So if you would with me, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 is where we're going to start today. It says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Let's stop there and, and, and try to give a definition here of what maybe treasure means here. If something, if you treasure something, if it's valuable to you, it's something that you desire. It's something that you go after, right? It's something that you want primary in your life. It's something that is at the forefront of your eyes. Your eyes are focused on it. It's treasure. It's valuable. I want it and I need it and I'm going to go after it. And he doesn't say, well, it's not good for you to lay up a lot of treasure. It's good for you to have some. It's not good for you to lay up a lot of treasure. It's good for you to have some. It's not, do not, very definite phrase, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. He draws a line in the sand and says, why are you treasuring things that you cannot take with you into eternity? Why do we find the material possessions of the world, money so valuable, so treasureful, is that a word it is now, in my heart, right? So much so that I'm gonna lay it up and then turn around and moth and rust destroy it. Thieves break in and steal. I can't take it with me for it into eternity. It stays here. And yet, we live our entire lives centered around these things. We make major decisions for our family. We make major decisions for us personally centered around this idea, centered around building up treasure that ultimately stays here. No one sits on their deathbed and says, man, I really wish I would have built up more. Because at that point, they realize, that's not going with me. That had no value. That really didn't matter. That's what Jesus is saying. Do not build up treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy. And then he gives an alternative. He says, instead of focusing on those things, verse 20, he says, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So he gives a, a 180. He turns you, he says, stop focusing on the treasure of this earth and focus on the things that matter. Stop focusing on the treasure on this earth and focus on things that have eternal value, things that you can, you can take with you. And I want you to sit in that. What does that mean? What does it look like and what does it mean to build up treasures in heaven, things that have kingdom value, things that matter, things that we take with us into eternity? Just sit on that. Think about it a little bit and we're gonna get there. But he definitely dichotomizes the two. Focus on earth versus focus of heaven. Focus on the finite versus focus on the eternal. What really matters? What stays here and what goes with us? He says in verse 21, a very clear statement. For where your treasure is, the things you value, the things that are primary, the things that are idle in your heart, the things you strive after, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's gonna take that statement a step further later in these verses. For where your treasure is, where your primary focus is, you better believe your heart is there too. Because our heart is what draws us to the treasure in the first place. He then continues with something that kind of seems out of context. It seems weird, but it connects the two paragraphs that we see in our, in our, script, in our scriptures. He's gonna talk about the eye a little bit. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. 
right? It's, it's what we see, what we see comes in. So if your eye is healthy, if my eye is focused on things that are healthy, if my eye is focused on things that are righteous, if my eye is focused on the things of heaven, the kingdom of God, it says then your whole body will be full of light. Vice versa, but if your eye is bad, if what I am focusing on, if what I am treasuring, if what I'm valuing, if what I see as important, if what I see as primary, my whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? We should not take this topic lightly. Jesus is speaking very boldly about money here. Just recognize that. Take a pause. He's not just like flippantly dealing with this issue. He's saying to focus on things that are not kingdom bound will fill you with darkness. He carries it even a step further from here, verse 24. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, listen to that phrase, you cannot serve God and money. Do we believe that? Like, do we believe that as Christians? Do we believe that as the, the American church? Do we truly believe that I cannot serve God and money or have we made it so commonplace to try that we don't even realize that we're doing it? I mean, he's so clear, he's so bold. You cannot serve both God and money. You will hate the one and love the other. There is not this dual thing that is happening here. It is a line drawn in the sand. What is my priority, the things of this world or the things of heaven? Because you better believe I cannot serve both. He moves on into a verse a few weeks. They uh, talked about this whole chapter. I love that this chapter flows from Jesus talking about money because it gives us context for the next few verses, right? These verses about anxiety that he's about to talk about have to deal with money, have to deal with material possessions. I mean, look how it starts out. Therefore, right? A therefore is a connecting phrase. He's saying you cannot serve both God and money. You will hate the one and love the other. So because of that, I tell you, he says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Whew. Don't just skim over that. I think we've heard these verses enough in the church and we're like, yeah, 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 that's great. Cannot serve both God and money, know it. Yep, it's probably above my dinner table, right? Like, uh, it's one of those verses that, that, that we love and we love to cling to and we love to repeat. But like, listen to what he says. Like, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or you will drink. I mean, how many of us, in the church, I would be anxious if all of a sudden I did not know where my next meal was coming from, that would bring me some kind of anxiety. What does that tell me about my life? That tells me in my life, that I'm looking to money and the material possessions of this world for things that only God can provide me. I'm looking to money and the material possessions of the world, things only God can provide me. Peace, security, a hope in a future. Scripture says God provides those things. Have we bought into the lie that money and material possessions provide those things for us and have so normalized it that we don't even realize we're doing it? He says, don't be anxious about those things don't be anxious about your clothing. And then he points to the birds in the air. I love it. I love this little shirt. They're sitting on the mountainside and these birds fly by. You know, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor weep nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? 
What's he saying? He's painting a picture. If I want to provide for these birds here in the air, how much more will I provide for you? This isn't prosperity gospel. God's not saying, follow me and I will provide you wealth and health, right? That's not what he's saying. But he's saying, look, if I provide the birds just enough, just what they need, if I've provided Israel just enough, just what they need, don't you think I will do the same for you? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Again, pointing to the material possession. Consider the lilies of the field. You know, Jesus pointing down and saying, look at these beautiful flowers. They grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, right? To the Jewish hearers, the the unclean, the ungodly seek after these things. The people who do not know Jesus, who do not know the truth, who do not know Yahweh, the God of the Bible, they focus their life, they focus their priority on money and material possessions. They worry about those things. They create anxiety about those things. He's saying, you, you chosen people, Israel, do you not realize the Gentiles seek after those things when I'm standing here in front of you as the ultimate provider of those things for you? I mean, who are we looking to to provide the food on our table, the roof over our head, the things that we need to survive? Do we honestly believe that God is the provider of those things? Or have we bought in to the rest of the world and what culture tells us and says, no, 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 money, Money, material possessions create those things. I'm going to look to that. I'm going to look to that. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all, right? God's not surprised. He's not like, oh, you need food? Oh, you need water? Oh, you need clothing? He's like, your heavenly father knows that you need them. And then he makes a transition, right? I said earlier in the sermon, when it said all the way back in verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either hate the one or love the other. Be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Verse 21, you know, to ask the question, okay, what does it mean to focus my eyes then on kingdom living? What does it mean to focus my eyes on things that go with me into eternity versus things that stay here when I die? And he says here, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things will be added to you. You see, it's seeking kingdom living first. It's seeking following after Christ first. It's trusting the Lord to provide me with what I need and just enough first rather than money. It's putting Christ first and money second in my life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. But again, what does it look like to seek the kingdom of God? Earlier in the scripture, we see Jesus get confronted by somebody. And the guy comes to him and he says, he's trying to trap him, really. He says, Lord, what's the greatest commandment, right? Go back and read the Ten Commandments later and, and tell me how many of them talk about money and what they're saying about money, by the way. Go read the 30% of the parables that Jesus says is, is literally talking about money. 30% of the parables talking about money. Go read them. Look at what Jesus says about money, but he's trying to trap them. Lord, what's the greatest commandment? 
What's primary? What's important? And Jesus looks back on him. He says two things. He boils all the law, all the prophet down to two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does it look like to have kingdom priorities? Because listen, folks, there's two things that go with you into eternity. Two, two actions. Nothing else goes with you. Your love for the Lord and your love for people. I can boil it down to four words. Love God, love people. That's it. Like, do we believe that? Do we honestly believe that that is true? That when Jesus looks back and says, all of this can be boiled down to two things, love God, love people. As I fall more in love with Jesus, the second is a natural reaction. I'm gonna fall more in love with people and love them well. As Jesus shows me more and more of who he is and who he has made me to be, loving people will follow as a direct result. Love God, love people. This is what it looks like to have kingdom living first. Now we can tie money into this, sure. We can say, I can love God well with my money. I can love God well with my money by loving people. But is that really our priority? Is that really something that we have made primary? You know, me and my wife, I always like to run my sermons through, through her and by her because she's just so much more theologically adept than me. She's got a master's in Bible and theology. She's just, that, that's her thing, right? That, that's her niche. And sometimes I'm like way off. And she's like, eh, have you really thought? You know, she asked good questions. And she responded back to me when I said, uh, talking about this, I made a statement. I said, you know, does, does money really have any value in the kingdom of God? And she said, well, yeah, does, does it? She asked me a question. She said, does it? Like, what about the missionaries, right? We gotta, we gotta provide for missionaries. And I'm like thinking about that. And I'm like, well, yeah, but how many of us make money with that being the priority? <laughs> how many of us make money with the idea like, hey, you know what? I'm gonna make money so I can give it away. That's my goal. I'm gonna make money so that I can provide for the gospel to be shared and spread throughout the nations. Or is our first reaction is I'm gonna make money so I can make sure I can retire at 60. I'm gonna make money so I can make sure I get a bigger house. I'm gonna make money so I can make sure I have that third car. I'm gonna make money so that I can, right? Like it's a total mindset change to love God and love people, to have kingdom living first and money second. So my challenge for you this week is this. Ask yourself and be honest, right? Like, because again, I think this is one of the idols we have in our hearts that we don't even recognize is there. It's such a sly, it's such a tricky one because the world around us, the broader American church tells us that it's normal, that it's okay. But really wrestle with the question, have I made money an idol in my heart and not even realized it all this time? Have I made money and material possessions a priority in my life and not even realized it all this time? Because I'm telling you, it stays here. It does not go with you. You will not be on your deathbed and think, man, I really wish I would have made more. The only things, the only actions that go with you is your love for the Lord and your love for people. It has eternal significance and eternal value where money has none. Wrestle with it. Have an honest discussion about it in your heart. Talk to God about it. Talk to your spouse. Talk to your small group. Have I made money an idol in my heart without even realizing it? And if it is, what does it look like to break those barriers down? Because I pray that we as a church, I pray that we as an individual people, again, we think about what does this look like as we step into a world that is so countercultural than this? 
I pray that we look different, right? We're following after Jesus. We're marked by the person of Jesus Christ, that they see us and how we handle our money, and they're like, what in the world is that? <laughs> why are you doing that? Why are you giving that away? Why are you not concerned with? Why did you choose that? And that it leads to honest gospel discussion questions because those are eternal questions and those are eternal conversations that have eternal significance. And they matter so much more than the material and money I can accumulate on this earth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our provider. Lord, I pray that we mean it today. I pray that I mean it today. I pray that as I step, as we step out of this church, that we would be able to wrestle with these questions, with what you have laid out for us in your word, that we cannot serve both God and money. It's impossible. It doesn't work that way. Lord, if idol is a money on the throne of our hearts, may we cast it off today. May today be the day we look and say, it just doesn't matter. But following after you does. Jesus, I pray that you would be center and foremost in our hearts and our lives. You have set us free from the chain of, of, of sin, of making money and idol in our heart. I pray that we would walk into that freedom today. Or maybe be honest this week with this issue. May you reveal in our heart where we may be lacking. I pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in learning more about us, you can check out our social media or website. Grace and peace to you.